Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. I'm Caroline Modaresi Tirani. This is American Metamorphosis. A few hundred feet beneath the Franco Swiss border, not too far from Geneva lies the largest machine in the world. Man-made and aptly named, the Large Hadron Collider is perhaps best described as organized chaos. It consists of two high-energy particle beams hurtling within a 17-mile ring in opposite directions, traveling close to the speed of light until they're made to clash with one another. And it's out of this friction, these clashes of opposing powerful forces, this repetitive chaos, that light itself is created. The United States of America is, in its own way, organized chaos, a man-made project fizzing with energy, brimming with light, often drifting in opposite directions, and occasionally highly combustible. Every four years, we the people get to vote on the direction our democracy moves towards. We either endorse the government to continue on a path that's already been cast. We made America great again, and we're going to keep America great. That's what it is. Or we empower a new government to pivot in an altogether different direction. Set our sights on the nation we know we can be and we must be. And it's this tradition, these brief but electric political clashes and the peaceful transferal of power that are at the heart of our democratic republic. But it's a tradition, one that's been in existence for over 223 years, that was recently challenged in a way we're still processing. As a lifelong New Yorker, I lived through the shock of 9-11. You know, I never could have imagined an attack on the Twin Towers, and then it happened. I never could have imagined a siege on the U.S. Capitol, and then it happened. And even now, I'm still in a state of shock, as are most of my colleagues. That's Congressman Richie Torres. On January 6, as protesters stormed the Capitol building, alleging that Joe Biden stole the election from Donald Trump, the newly elected representative from the South Bronx had been in the rotunda for just a few hours. It was his third day on the job. Both the House and the Senate convened in a joint session to conduct the Electoral College vote count. We had to appear on the House floor in cohorts, vote in cohorts. Uh, So I was waiting in my office. 
until at 1.30, the United States Capitol Police stormed inside my office, directing my staff and me to immediately evacuate. Capitol Police escorted Congressman Torres and his colleagues to a secure location inside the building. Can you just give us a sense of what was it like to be in that room where you could hear, I should imagine, people clamoring outside? You know, everyone was in a state of shock. We were all struggling to wrap our heads around what was transpiring. We were fielding calls from reporters, fielding calls from family members and friends and constituents who feared for our safety. It was a scene of chaos and confusion. You had hundreds of members cramped inside one room uh, in the midst of COVID-19. We are all shocked precisely because we see the Capitol as a temple, as a cathedral of democracy. Do you feel like what happened, the culmination of events that led to January 6th, show just how fragile the current system is? It was a wake-up call about the fragility of American democracy. We cannot afford to take for granted our democracy. We cannot afford to take for granted the peaceful transfer of power, which is under assault to an extent we have not seen before. You're listening to American Metamorphosis, a new limited series podcast produced weekly in partnership between Atlantic Rethink, the branded content studio at The Atlantic, and Boston Consulting Group, a strategic partner to government and business leaders, helping them tackle their most important challenges. Over the next six weeks, we're going to examine the very foundation of democracy, the peaceful transition of presidential power and explore how the obstacles and opportunities faced by new administrations have shaped modern American governance. We'll look at some of our most consequential problems and issues that defined a generation, from equal rights to outer space, and from vaccines to the environment. On this episode, we take a look at some of our nation's most painful moments and what they reveal about why transitions really matter. I'm just getting a note just to make sure so you that you hit record on the Zoom and your phone. Is that right, Danny? I I just want to double check that. Danny Werfel knows how tricky good governance can be. He was personally tapped by President Obama in 2013 to steer the IRS through controversy after it was revealed the agency had been targeting nonprofits with Tea Party or Patriot in their names. The scandal that led to a lot of people resigning and protests in the streets and congressional hearings and multiple investigations was this notion that politics had entered into kind of a sacred activity that's supposed to be devoid of politics, and that's the administration of the tax code. And that's good that there was so much angst about that, because that is an area that should be protected from politics. Well, a presidential transition should be no different. A presidential transition should be about the effective administration of government, not about the politics of it. That's what the election is for. Danny's worked as a civil servant across the Clinton, Bush, and Obama administrations. Today, he runs the public sector practice at Boston Consulting Group, where his job is literally to find ways to make the U.S. federal government function better. The foundational role of government 
starts with organization of society away from from chaos, you know, and lawlessness, instituting a world in which life and and liberty and the protection of 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 certain rights that that are at the foundation of our our democracy and our constitution. I like to think about that moment where you're you you get on the plane to fly cross country and you look down the aisle at your spouse and your children and they're buckling up and the plane is taxiing and think right at that moment about the air traffic controllers the air traffic control system and you expect as a citizen of this country as a taxpayer that the government is doing everything in its power to make sure that 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 flight is safe but every four or eight years, the country shifts from one air traffic control system to another. Uh, I think a lot of people before this year thought that transitions were largely symbolic, that they were about the pomp and circumstance of an inauguration or that they were about, you know, counting electoral college votes and that sort of thing. What are presidential transitions? Is it just the 75 days between an election and inauguration? Is it just the pomp and circumstance of an inauguration? Is it something more? No, it's a lot more. And I think it's really, really critical. There's an important symbolism and imagery of the peaceful transfer of power. It, you know, it creates a sense of patriotism, but it also creates a sense that democracy is working. But behind the scenes, there's so much that goes on. And it's not just the 75 days between the election and the inauguration. I mean, prior to the election, Federal departments and agencies are running through an exercise to begin to prepare their new leadership to come in. All the briefing books and decisions and, you know, here's what you need to know. Here are the key risks. Here are the key issues that are going on. Here's the sequencing of decisions you might need to make. All that behind the scenes work has a singular goal. Transition is all about, you know, preparing. It's the training time. It's getting ready to get your team on the field, know what you want to do at the outset. That's Max Steyer. He has been considering how we can improve transitions for the last 20 years and has spent the last eight helping campaigns on both sides of the political aisle with a transition process as part of his work running the Partnership for Public Service. The real challenge for an incoming administration is if you are limited to those 70 plus days between election and inauguration, there's just no way. It's such a large and complicated task. You're taking over a $5 trillion, 4 million person, 100 of operating units, 4,000 political appointees, on and on and on. It's a crazy task. You can't do it in that time horizon. To Max's point, that crazy task is not only across agencies and often across party lines, but improving it requires the participation and attention of everyone from Congress to consultants. How do you propose that you're going to get people engaged on this sticky, not necessarily very sexy sounding issue? I think, you know, we, we have to make lemonade out of the lemons. And so I think you begin with the problem set that, you know, we've just lived through. And I think there are many, many more Americans who know what a transition is and ever have before because of the problems that occurred this cycle, the, you know, the Trump administration and its failure to, you know, adequately cooperate with the, the Biden team really put this on the agenda in a way that it had never been done before. 
And for people like Max, a big part of the problem is that despite presidential transitions happening since George Washington passed the torch to John Adams, there really weren't any laws or mandates for governing the transitions themselves. One of my colleagues came to me and said, hey, there's an election coming up. There's going to be a new president. What are we doing about the transition? And it was a phenomenal question that I hadn't considered. And I turned it back on her and said, uh, what should we be doing? Without those rules in place, there is no protocol for the exchanging of information, whether classified or common. There's no orientation guidelines. And for the new team, there's no idea really what you're walking into. It really was a sort of a Groundhog Day phenomenon. When transitions occurred, people had access to oral history, someone else who had done it before, but there was no learning system. So Max and his team decided to make one. You know, one of the things that we did and BCG was really a fundamental partner to us from the get-go was to create a learning system to understand what are the issues that teams coming in to take over the government have to address, what should they be focused on trying to achieve, what kind of tools do they need, and you know how should they organize to be able to, to get stuff done. And we created a first-ever guidebook uh, on this. So we're now at version 4.0 of the guidebook. Um, the Biden team uh, used it uh, from, the, from the outset. Their 248-page guidebook is perhaps appropriately called the Comprehensive Guide to the Activities Required During the Transition. And it delves into everything from personnel management to giving a 101 on what to do about presidential appointments. How would you characterize the transition that we've just witnessed between President Trump and President Biden? You know, Trump to Biden transition has been, you know, one of the more difficult ones we've ever seen. And that impact is going to be felt by us, not just now, but for, for a long time to come. Frankly, they had um, a lot of challenges in the lack of cooperation from the outgoing administration, you know, beginning with an outgoing president who didn't admit that he had lost the election. And that cascaded throughout the administration, including delaying the more formal cooperation that occurs post-election. So, that's a long-winded way of saying this has been an ugly transition in terms of the relationship between the outgoing and the incoming administration. Delays of any kind can have huge ripple effects, from staffing agencies and accessing policy briefings to understanding national security threats and foreign policy issues. And of course, we've seen the consequences of delayed and truncated transitions before. The state of Florida is in 2000, Vice President Al Gore ran against Governor George W. Bush in what remains one of the closest elections in U.S. history. There were hanging Chad ballots and dueling news sites. At one point, Gore conceded the race, only to unconcede shortly after. Gore, don't get snippy about it, he spat back. And then, more than a month after election night and weeks into Florida's recount, the Supreme Court case, Bush v. Gore, stopped the recount entirely and in a 5-4 decision marked Bush the winner by a margin of just over 500 votes. While I strongly disagree with the court's decision, I accept it. Not only did the recount shake a lot of Americans' faith in the democratic system, but the delay meant that the system itself was made vulnerable. Nine months after taking office, Bush was still struggling to get his teams in place when, on September 11, 2001, 
terrorists launch a devastating attack on the United States. Max Steyer and his team were in the Capitol building that day. Our congressional launch was um, scheduled for the morning of 9-11 in the Capitol. It was co-hosted by you know the then Senator Lieberman and Congressman Dan Burton, who were chairs of the Senate and House committees. And Dan Burton came in shortly after nine o'clock into the charging of the room saying, hey, you know, a plane hit the World Trade Center. And, um, you know, one of the things that is will be etched in my memory forever will be walking down the mall towards our offices from the Capitol and seeing smoke come up from Virginia where the Pentagon had been hit. And, you know, a gorgeous, beautiful day, having the tranquility of the mall and then around us chaos, just gridlock traffic, everything, and, and really having no idea what was going on. Max's worst fears around the transition process being left open to interpretation and the risks of an unprepared government came into sharp focus. I didn't have any analysis or appreciation for the significance of what was going on until later. And, you know, what it has meant to me personally, as well as us organizationally, is it has underscored why this stuff matters. In the months that followed, the 567-page 9-11 Commission report called out the truncated transition from Clinton to Bush as one of the main contributing factors to the lack of preparedness in the government's response. That month-long recount and its ripple effects hindered the administration from preventing the attacks. It was about the fact that they didn't have their you know, full national security team in place and certainly not up to speed and working well together. After that report, Congress passed by huge margins something called the Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act of 2004, which was a broad suite of measures that included an important provision that allowed the candidates to be read into some national security issues months prior to the election. Quite simply, with a bungled transition, can there be a loss of American life? There's no question about it. There's just no, there's no doubt. And we are living through a live example of that right now, whether you think about you know, the vaccine rollout or the critical aid that so many Americans need uh, from their government, um, or you know, longer fuse threats like climate change, which is killing people, just not as obviously. What we're talking about here can be viewed sort of as inside baseball or wonky, whatever else it is, but fundamentally the consequences are intensely important. Why do you think there isn't more urgency around fixing presidential transitions so this stuff doesn't happen again? This is uh, an issue that bedevils all kinds of decision-making in government, and that is that the urgent crowds out the important. So if you were talking to the Biden team during the transition, they might have said top of the list is, hey, we got to fix some of these transition things. But when you walk into your office virtually or physically, and you know your day one problem is, how do we ensure we get the vaccines out to the American people, make sure that they're you know, efficient delivery, that we're, that we're really you know, ultimately directly saving lives, that becomes your number one focus. Um, and then issues about trying to improve the system around transition, whatever else, that, that fades away. But it only takes a black swan event like a pandemic or a foreign attack or a siege on the capital 
to underscore just how quickly the important morphs into the urgent. Despite Max and his team's best efforts, their guidebook is still just that, a guide. It wasn't enough to prevent failures in this most recent transition, and there's still much work to do in ensuring that if or when we have another fracture selection, it won't derail future administrations. You can't really be prepared if you don't know what's going on. And the earlier you can get information about what's going on, whether it's a cyber attack or what's going on with the vaccine rollout, the more able you're gonna be uh, to ensure you have your right plans and understanding uh, when you're in charge. Okay, so in your perspective, Max, I mean, how are these issues gonna be fixed? How are these issues gonna be addressed? Trying to move more forward pre-election, you know, uh, more support available to, uh, to campaign transition operations, enabling them to do some more of the personnel processing, and that would be extremely helpful. Um, ensuring that post-election that you have um, a clearer and lower bar of giving access to information to the, you know, the challenger operation would be hugely helpful. Part of lowering that bar for Max has to do with the mammoth task every new president faces, those thousands and thousands of political appointments. I frankly think we have way, way too many political appointees uh, that are brought in during a transition. So one way to simplify it would be rather than to have 4,000 political appointments, which no other democracy has anything close to that, um, you could have a quarter of that. In fact, that's what we did have, uh, you know, in 1960. Um, and it would make the whole process a lot easier. You could have many fewer that were Senate confirmed, uh, which would make it a lot easier. Is it something that Congress is going to have to get together to do? Is it something that President Biden can do with a stroke of a pen and an executive order? So I think it has to be uh, legislation. My hope would be that new members of Congress, as well as the incumbents, uh, actually, you know, relook at how they are handling their responsibilities uh, to ensure that uh, the executive branch is healthy. And that means making sure that uh, rules around things like transition actually enable new teams coming in to be able to take the reins quickly and effectively. But with Congress more partisan than ever, the reality is that getting the legislative branch to work together isn't going to be a cakewalk. So I asked Representative Torres, would you support legislation to strengthen the rules and regulations around the process of transferring government? I would support laws, but keep in mind that we pass the laws, but we trust the executives to execute those laws faithfully. And if the executive is corrupt and abusing his power, the laws we pass are only as good as the people who execute them. And, and, and that's the inherent challenge. So, you know, for, for all of the chaos that unfolded on January 6th, uh, the system did survive the stress test. Despite that close call, that stress test, Danny Werfel remains optimistic about these powerful, clashing, and sometimes combustible forces that make up our democracy. Danny, I mean, you know, it, it feels almost naive to talk about stripping politics away from these processes. We're in 2021. The nation is arguably more divided than it was before. Partisan politics is more rancorous than it was before. So, I mean, is it naive to think that we can actually 
strip politics away from these processes, take politics out of something like a presidential transition. It's not naive to set that as our true north. It's not naive to set an ambition and to understand collectively across party lines that certain activities should be protected from politics. A few hundred feet beneath the Franco-Swiss border, the Hadron Collider spurs on. These giant high-energy beams race towards each other, past each other, again and again, around and around. I often think about uh, Martin Luther King's quote of the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We're going to take two steps back, but we always take those three steps forward. And it feels to me like right now, as a country, we're in the process of taking some of those steps back. And out of this friction, the process of evolution towards something greater continues. In order to, to be true to Dr. King's vision, we have to roll up our sleeves and, and work to make sure that we overcome the two steps that we're taking back in terms of all the, the things we want to achieve as a country. That's my sense. That's what I feel in my gut. The American experiment is fragile, but all democracies are fragile. But I remain hopeful the future belongs to those of us who believe in democracy. Caroline Modaresi Tirani, and you've been listening to American Metamorphosis. Join me next week as we go from examining a crisis of democracy to a crisis of another kind, and ask if leaders can turn their most testing moments into opportunities for transformative change. Hold up. 